This is Saving Brothers with Philip Robertson on the Saving Brothers podcast. And yes, we're live. Oh my gosh, this is one, guys, brothers, that I personally have been looking forward to. Catherine Nixon, a.k.a. The Sleep Whisperer, welcome to Saving Brothers. How are you? I'm really well, and uh, I always enjoy having a chat to you, Philip, and uh, I'm so uh, privileged to be here, and uh, we're going to have a great chat about why sleep matters and uh, and how to get a good night's sleep because it's a bit hard for some people to be able to do that actually really easily. It's funny. Like, I mean, if you had have asked me, say, a year ago, maybe even several months ago, oh, my gosh, we are going to have a quote-unquote sleep coach, a resident <laughs> sleep coach who is the sleep whisperer, I'd be going, and, yeah, I'm growing dreadlocks. Like, seriously. It's just bizarre and it's so, it's almost like it's kind of esoteric. It's this great unknown, I think, the whole issue around sleep and I myself am getting my head around this too. So I think this is a very, very exciting topic and I'm really keen to unpack it with you and it's going to be a really big pillar as you and I have discussed for Saving Brothers because, quite frankly, the world's all over the place and I think our brothers out there, just like me, have been struggling with their sleep. So, Catherine, what I thought a really great place to start would be, why don't you give us your background so the brothers get to know who you are, what you've done, your journey, and then we'll ask you some questions and possibly, guys, if you've got your questions, load them up because Catherine loves to answer them. But, Catherine, over to you. Tell us about the Catherine Nixon journey. Yeah, thank you, Philip. And, uh, look, I... I'm a huge fan of the sleep health space and I actually fell into it accidentally in 2006. So my my journey, I'm a, I've been I'm a healthcare veteran. I've been in healthcare, the industry now since the age of 14, going on 15. So I have quite a unique story actually to how that all began, but I started in health at a very young age. And it actually started in uh, aged care when I was at school. So I actually was uh, given the responsibility to look after people before I could even, I even had my learners. Uh, So, you know, when I think about that, uh, it's just, it's quite epic. But I actually think my early start in the healthcare industry back at the age of 14 has probably really set me up for who I am today. I'm a hugely empathetic person. I really understand how hard it is for people to find health, rebuild health and gain health. So I'm hugely, hugely empathetic. And I think it's my early start. So I started my journey in healthcare at the age of 14 and, uh, and you know, I worked in aged care for six years while I was at school and uni, and then I became a registered nurse. So I'm still a registered nurse today, so I'm still an RN. And, uh, look, my healthcare career has taken me around the world. I left, uh, you know, Australia in 2002, and I travelled to the UK, and I thought I'd be there for a year or two doing the working holiday visa as every uh, Aussie uh, wants to do. And I ended up staying almost a decade and uh, and while I was living there in London, I uh, look. I was an agency nurse running around. I, I think I've almost. I think I've worked at every hospital in London. I've worked in. I worked in every area you could imagine, from emergency to delivering babies to general medicine, everything. Uh, but I ended up falling into an area um, 
in cardiothoracic. So people for, you know, heart surgery, lung surgeries. And that was a really interesting time. I worked at the Royal Brompton Hospital, amazing hospital in central London. And uh, that uh, couple of year journey there sort of became um, a pivotal moment for me because it was when I decided that I, uh, I look, I love being at the bedside with patients, but just the shift work became, was just all too much. And so I made the switch to commercial healthcare. And uh, that's when I joined ResMed. And ResMed, for many people out there who might be listening to this now, who have uh, a very common sleep condition called sleep apnea, ResMed, a global med tech leaders, they're the best um, at making the equipment for the worldwide market. So I joined their team as someone who knew nothing about sleep. I knew nothing about CPAP or anything at all. And I was asked to set up their London office, which I did. And I ended up staying there for four years, running their London office and really got to understand the sleep health space. And, uh, you know, sleep apnea is really interesting. One in five people suffer with sleep apnea. It's very, very common, more common than people actually realise. And uh, and it was after, gosh, being in London for almost 10 years, I had my first child, Harrison, there. And it was just time to come home when he was one. It, a lot of things had changed and I made the trip coming home. And uh, another very interesting milestone in my journey uh, was to continue in sleep. So when I came back to Australia, I didn't move back to Brisbane. I came back to Sydney and I joined a very interesting company called ResSleep. Uh, who some of you may have heard of, actually. It's one of the biggest suppliers here in Australia now. And I was brought on at the very early start of that business. And I ended up in that business for about eight years. And I became um, the operations manager nationally running that group. And I became a co-owner in some of those uh, clinics with the franchisors. And eventually we were doing such a good job that ResMed really liked what we were doing. And ResMed brought us back because we were we were doing a good job with the patients in the market. And then I worked for ResMed for a couple more years and uh, with ResSleep. And uh, and then in 2018, I decided to have a bit of a change. And I uh, sort of started doing some different things outside that direct sleep market and started navigating my way through the gut health space and other medical areas. And uh, I've always, sleep has always been there. And uh, since then, I've, I've got a blog now, so I write articles, I sleep coach, I work with different medical companies, and I do a lot of interesting things inside the sleep space with the different med tech players, the diagnostics. So I still play quite a pivotal role, actually, in the sleep disorder breathing market. And uh, here we are today, Philip, because, you know, we're working together and you've got sleep apnea, that's one of the areas that, that, you know, that we've been working, that you've been on that journey for a little while. And uh, we're obviously doing some other things in sleep. So that's kind of my journey. I'm, a, I'm still an RN, absolute advocate for people and their health. I really understand sleep. And I've probably been in the sleep game now for about 15 years. It seems like such a long time, but it actually doesn't feel like that long. But I love it. I love actually helping people to work out why their sleep doesn't work and actually helping people to get back on track. Oh, I think that's incredible. And, and what I just love is it always comes through. Now, all our conversations, Catherine, is your passion for this mm. area of sleep. And also, as I'm coming to learn, the relationship between sleep and gut health. And in fact, one of your great mm. colleagues, Gigi, Geraldine Georgia, who 
is now also my dietitian, thanks to you, and is working with me around my issues of diabetes and working with my GP, which in itself is a whole nother conversation. I'm sure we can manage to get Gigi into the studio and uh, because I know she also works with the Navy, as, uh, as uh, she shared with me. Yes, and, in fact, does. Gigi, if you're out there, by the way, I got your recipe book. It landed in Melbourne yesterday. So all of that, let's talk about some of the issues around sleep and what I would say is a lack of sleep. I'm coming to learn that it is potentially harmful to your body and your health. I didn't realise just how harmful. So I'd love you to shed some light for our brothers around some of the things that can happen with a lack of uh, sleep and what an impact is on your health and your body. That's a great question. And, you know, sleep is epic. I, I like to refer to it as the holy grail. It's so mysterious. It's so misunderstood. And it's so, it it is just not given the value that it really holds. And the reason I say that is that sleep is, it is one of the massive pillars in your health from head to toe. It affects, honestly, everything, everything. And, uh, And, you know, a lot of people today really suffer with poor sleep. And so really some of the things that can go wrong is that if you're not sleeping well, and there's lots of different reasons why you may not be sleeping well, but you know, it affects your, it can affect the way that you see the world, the way that you see yourself. So you can feel quite low in mood and really lethargic and quite, you know, feel, you can feel sort of really under the weather. Uh, Problems, little problems feel, they feel quite big when you don't sleep very well. You feel quite irritable. You can get easily angry, really frustrated because it affects your mood. It really also affects your cognitive function. So the way that you can remember things, the way that you can organize thoughts in your head and pick thoughts out and actually really cognitively problem solve, sort of, you know, work things out and I guess, you know, that basic level, but also that high performance level. Uh, It can affect, you know, for instance, other parts of your body, like your heart, can be affected your immune health can be affected because when you sleep your immune system is doing a lot of stuff it loves it when you sleep uh, but things like for instance with men erectile dysfunction is a really common symptom in people who don't sleep well alzheimer's is another interesting area that's starting to emerge as a recent insight that plays quite closely to to sleeping problems our gut problems so feeling really bloated in the stomach and, you know, always hungry, you know, never satisfied. You can't eat enough. You're always hungry. Uh, so, you know, with that comes weight trouble. So people find it really hard, you know, doing, try, feel like they're doing all the right things. So I'm eating right, I'm exercising, and I just can't shift the weight. And that becomes quite deflating. So weight, shifting the weight can be really, really hard. And then people have other um, medical problems that they might already be on the slippery slope with. So things like high blood pressure, may have had a stroke, you might have heart failure, you might have diabetes, you may have been diagnosed with different mood disorders. You know, those are some of the really common things that come about when you don't sleep very well. And and I guess, look, aside outside of your the health of your body is, you know, you're more at risk of having accidents and uh, you're more at risk of injury because your your judgment, your time, the way that you your reaction time, is impaired. 
So it's, you're slower to react. So you can be at more risk of accident. So that's a, that's another one that sort of sits separate to the body, but obviously can put you into a bit of trouble if you have an accident. So sleep is really connected from your mind to your energy, to the way your physical body looks and the way that you actually behave. So the way that you actually go about your day and the way that you feel about the world. So it's it's a pretty big one. And uh, look, I love it, and I but I do feel so sorry for the people that really struggle but just don't realise that sleep actually could be, I often talk about like the missing link, that missing link. Oh, Catherine, I mean, it, it, just listening to what you were saying, I'm going for me, as you know, and Gigi, who's I believe on this call as well, tick. I mean, how many times did I say to you, I feel like I'm just running on vapour. Yeah. I'm just constantly exhausted. I've just got nothing in the tank. And if you remember, the, well, of course we remember the conversation, it was, what, two or three weeks ago where we sat there with my partner Rosie on a Saturday morning and you and Gigi were going through my blood results and that I'm on the doorstep of diabetes and I'm just sitting there with tears running down my face. I could barely speak. Uh, Rosie's there taking amazing notes about all these things that I personally just thought maybe I'm just stressed. And I had, and, and one of the guys has just said, you know, I haven't had a good night's sleep in 20 years. I don't think that's actually a very uncommon thing, unfortunately. Right. But, but what I'm learning quite quickly is you can turn the ship around. It's not the Titanic that's about to hit the iceberg. If you get proper coaching and you get the steps and the sleep hacks, and I think that's something that we will cover off at some point today, some of the ideas around, well, what are some of the workable things guys can do? I wanted to ask you, Kevin, why is it that men often just take so long, they sit on their sleep problem, so to speak, and then they act later? What do you, what do you think causes that? Yeah, great question. And, look, this is a very common uh, a lot of people uh, sit on their their sleep issues for so long. And I, I think, you know, a lot of people just, I think people misunderstand the value of their sleep. They don't realise that because it's interesting when you have, um, you know, when sleep isn't working, you know, you generally start to get niggling issues. Now, sometimes the issues you get, because it because it's it just comes out in lots of different ways, people uh, get confused and think that, oh, it's, you know, I'm really busy because, God, work is just so busy at the minute. I'm trying to look after kids. I'm, I'm trying to work and trying the balance. So there's lots of other reasons you find in your life that are the reasons why you have the symptoms that are associated with poor sleep, but you don't actually really think that that the sleep is causing that many problems. So what happens? People just sit on these problems and they get really busy with modern life and kind of, like, you know, they keep working through them, keep working through them and put up with them and then they get worse and you just keep going. And what will happen is that you develop this new normal. So you 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 have all this abnormal stuff going on, but then you begin to recreate your new normal. So therefore things don't seem as obvious now because you're in this kind of new treadmill and and because the picture keeps building, you just keep building this abnormal picture. So people keep sitting on things for a while and, and where the gasket will start to blow and this is really normal, is that suddenly the problem, because the body's really smart, right, the body compensates very, very well, very clever, but it tricks us, it'll trick us out. But eventually things become so complicated because they've compensated so much that 
stuff really begins to break down and you start to have quite significant health problems and suddenly you're like going, oh, my God. So you might have an incident and you end up, uh, you know, being diagnosed with something and then you're going, oh, my God, but these things might be you have cardiac problems. You might have had a stroke. You might have erectile dysfunction that suddenly come on, but you're doing everything and you're going, I just don't know why. Diabetes might be coming on. You might be suffering with a lot of memory issues or you might just be feeling so low in mood but you hit a point where you feel like there's no return and suddenly you start to realize I have to do something and someone start and hopefully someone tells you but the thing is it's you know sleep is so mysterious that unfortunately even in the healthcare industry and as much as I I love all my colleagues out there who are doing an amazing job sleep is just not well managed it's not people go and talk about even some of these queries with their doctors and it's just sometimes we don't express our feelings and how we're feeling as well and maybe they're not actually picked up by the person we're talking to. So sleep kind of goes under the radar, you know, so it's very common for people to sit on this stuff for a long time and and then suddenly the gasket blows and uh, and you just hope you're not too far down the track because sleep, Sleep does cause some pretty big problems in your health and sometimes you can't always pedal back where, you, where you'd like to be. So that's why I'm, I'm on this big mission just to really help create. It's all about awareness. The more I think you understand stuff and the more I think we appreciate the role that sleep pays, then I think we start to, we start to go, actually, this is, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. I actually have to do something. And I think it's that point where people go, right. Now I'm on it and now I have no choice. But it shouldn't be like that. It really shouldn't be like that. And I think, Philip, you can probably resonate with that a little bit with some of, you know, a bit of the journey that you've been on um, as well. You know, you sort of, you look back and think, oh, I wish I had have done that then. You know, so it uh, so it's common for people to sit on problems. Uh, can you hear me, Philip? Yeah, look, you know what? I think the whole system just went to sleep. And can I just say <laughs> a shout out to the wonderful NBN there, guys? I reckon that was probably mine. I'm so sorry, gang. Uh, maybe we'll just hot spot in the future. But you know what? Absolutely, we just keep marching on. Look, I, I, I'm I'm so learning that. I mean, I was personally on that slippery slope. I I had said to you, I was low in motivation. Yep. I was just like absolutely just just tanked. I and. Remember the other day I spoke to you because I'm keeping a sleep journal now, as you know, and it was like I I got to bed quite late because I had some calls with people from overseas and then I actually had calls at 5.30 a.m. the next morning. So I was back to back and I think I ended up with about four hours sleep and I said to you all morning, by 10 a.m. I had a headache. Yeah. And in the past, what would I have done? Gone to get the Panadol or you know some sort of paracetamol to to to, to just kind of like numb it to knock it out, but no. Uh, now I'm starting to understand myself. What are these things that, and and how it is? Oh, I'm really interested about the cardiac stuff because, as you know, cardiac disease is the biggest killer of men in in Australia, mm. bigger than road trauma or the cancers combined. And I think that's such an important thing. We really want to drive these sort of messages home, Catherine, around this issue of uh, cardiac disease and just the impact and, and relationship that, that you've been sharing with me over the last few weeks about poor sleep and how it can impact that. But you, and, and then I'd like to explore beyond that, you mentioned about Alzheimer's disease as well. 
Yeah, it's interesting. So heart health is very connected to sleep. So when we sleep, sleep is, we often think we just put our head on the pillow and that's it. You know, it's like, oh, lights out. Uh, but the body is, sleep is a very, it's a very active process. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so sleep is this champion with helping our bodies to repair and regenerate. And it's really important that we get this chance every day because there's a lot going on and every organ in our body just needs some time to recalibrate and and have a bit of a rest to be able to perform well the next day. And our heart definitely likes um, sleep and healthy sleep, not short sleep and sleep all over the place. And it wants good quality sleep. And uh, so, you know, things that happen when, when you're sleeping, it's very natural for your blood pressure to drop off a little bit. Now, you know, if you don't get enough sleep, well, th- those sort of natural things don't happen. So these sorts of, this is where sleep starts to play into the realms of keep pushing people down the road of developing high blood pressure, which then puts you at risk of having a stroke, which over a period of time puts you at risk of developing heart failure, which is a terrible situation. And, you know, another really interesting one in the cardiac space is atrial fibrillation or AF. So, you know, you may have heard of someone saying, oh, yeah, my heart races a lot. I've got to go to the hospital and get a cardioversion. Well, that would be for atrial fibrillation. It's very common. And look, you know, the statistics of people with AF, and I, I can't remember the exact number from my head, but it's, you know, it's a look around like 70, 75% of people with AF have untreated obstructive sleep apnea. And so what happens is when you go to bed at night time um, and you have, say, sleep apnea, which affects one in five people, and I'll do, look, I'll do a bit of, I'll give you a bit of a, an example. If you imagine that you're in a dark alley and someone uh, comes up and gives you a big fright, your heart flutters, you feel hot and sweaty, and and that is that your body You've, you've stimulated what we call your sympathetic nervous system. You produce all this adrenaline, which is really natural. Get your heart rate going. Get your blood pressure going. So what will happen when this this happens? So people who stop breathing at nighttime with obstructive sleep happening when it's not treated, this happens all night long, this all night long. So some people stop breathing 100 times an hour, honestly. And so you can imagine this effect all night long, all night long. And you can see that... When that happens, sometimes that will flip your heart. It'll change the electricity of your heart. So you go from a normal sinus rhythm into this fast and fluttery rhythm and it makes you feel really unwell and over long, it's, it's not healthy and it's very dangerous. And uh, But it's very common in people who have untreated obstructive sleep apnea. And so you can just imagine all this stress on your heart at nighttime when the heart's racing and it can't get time to relax. Why? these vascular problems begin to occur. Now, the Alzheimer's thing is very interesting because what's amazing is that when you go to bed at nighttime, your your sleep allows your brain to flush out toxins. So, you know, we get a buildup of toxins during the day and age-related effects. This is very normal. Uh, but when you go to sleep at nighttime, and this only happens in certain stages of sleep, but what will happen is the sleep process allows your allows your body to allow cerebral spinal fluid to flush into your brain and this washes over the brain 
And now when this washes over the brain, it flushes out these toxins. So if you don't sleep properly or don't get enough sleep, you kind of miss out on all these very important processes. This is why I say sleep just impacts people from head to toe. But what happens, what they're finding with Alzheimer's, they could, they, in the last decade, they, you know, there's been a lot of like, oh, people with Alzheimer's just don't sleep well and people with sleep problems just seem to might be more likely to get Alzheimer's. What's the link? Well, they found that those with obstructive sleep apnea, for instance, and with the severity of apnea, it becomes more um, more likely. But um, Alzheimer's is really, uh, so the pattern of when you have Alzheimer's, you get these buildup of what we call these amyloid plaques in your brain. So these, these, these are like, they're like natural proteins, but they break when they fragment and stuck in the network of your brain. And when you get too much of this over time, then this is a common picture with Alzheimer's. And so they found that people with obstructive sleep apnea have this same pattern of amyloid plaque buildup in the brain. And so if we think about it, if we think that, well, sleep, you're not getting these natural processes, you're not really getting the chance to flush out these these amyloid plaques. So um, so it's really quite interesting. So that so that's some really interesting research that's really become more defined in the last sort of couple of years uh, in that area, which is look, which is exciting because it allows for better preventative health medicine for sleep and also for Alzheimer's. But you can just see this very quiet period where you put your head on the pillow actually is doing a lot of very strategic things to keep your body. It's like a car. It's kind of keeping you well-oiled and keeping the engine in good order for the next day. So it's like never having a checkup. If you don't sleep, it's like never having a car checkup. Well, it's interesting, Catherine. I mean, I myself, as you know, I have obstructive sleep apnea and I use a CPAP machine. And you mentioned up to 100 times in an hour people wake. When I did my test, I was waking 60 times in an hour and I stopped breathing. Mm. I I remember my ex-wife, I would be there in my bed and she would say, Philip, you actually stop breathing. Mm. So it, it, it's quite quite incredible. Tell us about some of the things men, our brothers, can do to start to sort out their sleep problems. Yeah, look, I think the first one, um, and this is with any health journey that you would go on, I think the it's the actual actualization, realization that something isn't right. So accepting that something just isn't actually right. And uh, and then starting to investigate it. So with sleep, it's it's beginning to realize if you've got niggling stuff happening in your health. So it might be maybe you always wake up with headaches. Maybe you've just you're not remembering things as well. You're more irritable, or you've got erectile dysfunction coming on, or you're feeling more stressed. Is to actually really actually almost be honest with yourself. Write down the things that aren't working, and then ask yourself this question: What is my sleep like? Like, how do I actually sleep? Do do I actually sleep consistently each night for seven to nine hours per night? Do I, one, get enough quantity, which is seven to nine hours per night, but do I get quality? And and by quality, I mean, do you get up and down to go to the toilet all night? Do you Do you wake because you're choking for breath? Do you wake because you're snoring? Do you do you struggle to fall back asleep at night time? Are you up and down Dale a bit? 
And so you've got to really look at quantity and quality. So it's really accepting that what isn't right in my health, what is my sleep like? And if you start to have a list of going far out, I'm I don't I don't pick the good sleep uh, you know criteria. I'm not I'm not qualifying for that right now, and I've got this stuff going in my health. Then you need to actually start to investigate. You need to actually get assessed. So sleep is a bit sleep is a big umbrella. And uh, there's different reasons why people can't sleep. So sometimes people have got other medical conditions at play that affects their sleep. But sometimes sleep can be the problem that causes other health problems. So you really need to be assessed, do a proper sleep health assessment to actually find out, well, what is really going on? And, uh, and then from there, sometimes you have to go and get tested for different things, but that's not needed. That's not necessary for everyone. And then once you've, once in health, it's all about to, to get a plan together. You've got to get data. You've got to find the facts, the figures. Let's get some information. Get your baseline. It's all about finding the baseline. Then you can strategic personalize. Well, what have we got to do now to fix this baseline? We need to improve the baseline. What are our goals? Then you put a plan together, and then uh, and then and then you then you start on the plan. And uh, look, depending on what you might need to do in your sleep, the plan. There'll be a lot of similarities, but there are some differences that some people need to take. But that is all dependent on what is the issue. And I, I, look, I often talk about, you know, when you go on a health journey, you don't want to be Alice in Wonderland. You don't want to be chasing the white rabbit because you might end up down the wrong rabbit hole. So sometimes that happens in health. We get excited by, by what we've read or what we think. Might, we self-diagnose ourselves. And we put these plans together and then we get really upset when they don't work and we've been struggling to make things work. And so you just don't want to be Alice chasing the white rabbit. You actually need someone to help you actually work out what's wrong and then actually put together a good plan that's for you because your plan will be different to someone else. And uh, and then you just start to build in, well, what does that look like? And it's all about being realistic in health too. You can't achieve everything in one big breath. You've got to take baby steps and uh, it's kind of like building, it's like, you know, building the pyramid. You build it brick by brick and which is what, you know, you're on that road at the moment, Philip, so you will you will understand, but it's building things bit by bit because then you just feel like you're achieving things and you're getting somewhere. And, uh, and then before you know it, you've built the pyramid and you've come so far. And uh, so it's all about uh, assessing and uh, personalising your plan, but starting with the why, actually what's wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think the key is to acknowledge that there is a problem and to get help. And I think that's one of the lovely things about what you brought to Saving Brothers and to me personally. I mean, I'm going through and currently on that journey. Already it's making a significant difference. But I think you've got to be motivated. You've got to want to make the changes. Weight, of course. I mean, I remember I'd go and see Dr. Bernie Crimmins, my GP, and he'd say, well, mate, lose 10 kilos. And for a lot of men, that's not necessarily easy because you're in that cycle. If you're not going and losing the 10 kilos, well, if if you've got a a sleep problem, it's not necessarily a a simple thing. It's not healthy for men to then go and starve themselves. And some men don't want to exercise in in a crazy fashion. And it's got to be workable. I mean, I think for us as men, we don't like things that are so complicated. We don't necessarily want to be weighing our food like some of the gurus want us to do. It's Mm -hmm. about simple things that are baby steps 
that you can incorporate in, into your lifestyle. I noticed that one of the guys has talked about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and mm-hmm. saying he's quite irritable and uh, at times and he lacks sleep. So there is sounds like there's a, a correlation there, Catherine, between IBS, yes. anxiety, etc. kind of feeds into itself. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, there is this connection. Look, it's it's one that's emerging. It's an area that I'm hugely fascinated in, and this is where I team up with Gigi, so Geraldine Giorgio, who's one of Australia's leading dietitians. Um, so, you know, when you don't sleep well, it affects your gut. And, you know, if you've got some gut troubles going on, that will then affect your sleep. So there is this uh, sleep-gut connection, and it is interconnected. And we know that with with gut health, gut health obviously loves sleep, but it you know it's all about actually what you're eating as well. And are you eating the things that just make sense for you? Because you know there's also a bit of personalization there as well. But if your gut health is not balanced, and so it's become um, that there's an imbalance there for whatever might be happening, this disruption you get in your gut health, it can affect your mood. And it can give you these anxious feelings and it can make you feel very low in mood. And we know that when you're not sleeping well, well, that's, they are common side effects. But look, you, look, a happy hormone, which is known as serotonin, um, the happy hormone, you know, 90% of your serotonin is actually produced in your, in your gut. So if your gut health is off, so if sleep is sending it off or it's off for other reason, will impact your sleep but essentially if your gut health is off you interrupt some really healthy processes like with the production of hormones now when we look at hormones in our body hormones are these chemical drivers with instructions they're giving out instructions left right and so they're very very important but it doesn't take a lot to upset the hormones so serotonin um, is is a hormone it doesn't take a lot to upset them and when you start to upset them you get quite big ripple effects so usually Little little irritations cause big problems. And so, you know, what, so what's happening in sleep at the moment? There is not uh, – look, the sleep-gut connection is a very new and emerging area, uh, but I think it's going to become quite a big area as the years actually sort of move on. And so what I'd suggest is if you're not – if you're just not sleeping well, um, there's a good chance that that is irritating um, and creating some irritation with the IBS, but it could be actually that the IBS is coming about for other reasons because that's actually a really big, that's a big space in itself. And I know that my colleague, Geraldine Giorgio, this is one of her uh, niche kind of areas. Um, you need someone who's, you know, a specialist in that area to really then have a look at like, well, let's let's check the engine, like sleep. Let's do some assessments. Let's get a bit of data and, uh, and the reason that Gerald and I actually work very closely together, and we have done for a while now, and we actually met uh, quite a many years ago in the, uh, the sleep disorder breathing space. Um, but the, you know, if, you, if you're not, um, if you're not, you know, if your gut isn't good, you're not going to be sleeping well. If your sleep isn't good, well, you, your gut health is going to be affected. And there's lots of great strategies you can bring in together by making simple dietary changes that just work for you by making some sleep changes. Have you got maybe a sleep disorder breathing problem? Have you got some other medical problem that's itching all of this as well? So it's actually, yeah, it's all about assessing, but there is this link between the two, but it's actually finding out what is what is the cause 
for for the IBS. But sleep is a really so if you can sleep better, all those things in your gut actually um, benefit from that. I think the best thing, and I did a post, as you know, the other day about the importance of looking under the hood. You can go yeah. to the gym, you can have nice skin and even drop some weight, but that doesn't mean if the inside, the organs, the arteries are healthy. And so I'm more and more learning about those relationships. What do you see as the future of sleep, particularly in relation to educating their brothers? Yeah, look, I I think sleep needs to be on the roadmap a lot more. I actually think every doctor should should be prescribing a good night's sleep, and I, I hope to see that come. But we know that at the moment, uh, healthcare systems around the world, it, sleep is a massive problem, and it's getting worse, and it has a massive ripple effect into um, other like what we call chronic diseases, and chronic diseases affect one in two people. So uh, sleep is a big part of that. And I guess, look, what I hope to see and a lot of the work I do now, you know, is impacting sleep health because if we can impact sleep health, if we can, if we can help people to sleep better, go to bed easier, fall asleep, sleep the required recommended seven to nine hours per night soundly, then then that will actually fix so many problems that people have with health. It will fix so many problems. So actually just by creating awareness so for people to be more aware of how sleep works for your body, what does it look like when it's dysfunctional and what? how do you go about actually getting it sorted but not being complacent and putting up with the drama? We've actually got to be proactive. We need to be a lot more preventative in our health. So sleep health should be much more in the preventative health picture. I'm, I'm driving a lot of that. And I talk a lot about sleep and I give out lots of bite-sized bits of information to help people get on the journey and work out if things aren't wrong and, and, and access the help you need to get. Because, you know, health really begins with what you know, what you understand and how you can connect. And if you can line those three things up, you're on the road. You will absolutely 100% be successful. But really every doctor in this country or around the world, every doctor should be prescribing that everyone should be getting a good night's sleep. Yeah, I totally agree. And I'm, I'm, as I said earlier, I'm learning more and more about the value around that. But often men will wake up, particularly in the middle of the night, one between the hours, maybe of one and three, need that toilet stop, the quick pit stop, and then they'll really struggle, Catherine, to get back to sleep. Have you got any ideas, hacks around that? Because I know myself, I can then go back and lie there and lie there and lie there and go, I really want to go to sleep, but I'm totally wide awake. There's so many things going, running around in my little brain. Yeah. So first, I think a couple of things. So making it's interesting to find out, like, why you are getting up because technically we shouldn't be getting up at nighttime. We should be staying asleep. So finding out why you're actually getting up I think is a big one. But if you're awake and you do get up, and you go back to bed, if you can't fall asleep straight away, then you need to get out of the bed because what you don't want to do is you don't want to be you don't want to. So when you go to bed, your body should should understand that when you lie in bed, and you close your eyes, you fall asleep. And if you if you lie in bed awake and you can't fall asleep, then you're training your body to re, to think that it can lie in bed awake. So it kind of feeds the problem. So if you're lying in bed awake and you can't fall back asleep easily, you just need to get up, get out of the bed 
and you know go and go and sit quietly somewhere maybe go and read a little bit with the dim light go and have maybe a cup of tea so you know Philip one of the things I recommended for you is that you know go and grab if you like herbal teas or floral teas and and I don't I don't think these are just female uh recommendations I think if you like you know, if you can drink a herbal tea, go get some lavender teas, go and get some chamomile teas, be really adventurous, go and put some nice teas in the cupboard and and know that if you get up at night time, go and make yourself a cup of tea, just go and sit quietly and do some reading, go, go and, you know, maybe go and do a puzzle, go, go and do something that distracts you from worrying about falling asleep. And then when you start to feel tired again, go back to bed, but you don't want to lie in bed because what it will do, you, you train your body to behave in the wrong way but then you actually feel more stressed out. So for anyone listening to this who really, you know, sleep is a problem and you just, it's just a nightmare. You wake up and think, God, here I go again. I'm going to lie here for ages. It'll just work you into a tither and it will make you feel more stressed out lying there. So you begin to fuel your anxiety. So this only makes the problem just worse. So you've just got to retrain but I think, uh, and look, if you do that and you start to go back to bed and you're falling asleep, but and you, you but you're repeatedly still getting up, you've got to find out, like, why are you getting up? Is have you got a sleep disorder that's just that you don't know about? Are you stressed when you go to bed? So one of the things I often say to people, and we've chatted about this too, Philip, that when you go to bed. You want to go to bed in a bit of a rested state. You you don't want to go to bed wound up because you you just your body needs to be re, be a re, bit relaxed. So we talk about habits in a day. Well, sleep 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 is driven by what you do in your twenty four hour day. What you do in the day will affect your sleep, and what happens in your sleep will impact your day. So it's like this twenty four hour clock, and so you know you know, thinking about what you're doing in the lead up to going to bed. What are you doing in the one or two hours before bed? I mean, are you on looking at a lot of blue screens? Are you watching television in bed, which is just not a good thing? Are you exercising heavily before you go to bed? Are you drinking a lot before you go to bed? Are you drinking coffee too late in the day? Like to really look at how are you going to bed? Because if you go to bed feeling wound up and stressed, then it kind of plays into the night. Sometimes people who've got really busy minds, so sometimes people wake up and just go, oh, God, I, oh, just my head, like I've just got all these thoughts and I'm thinking about what I've got to do the next day and I, like the worriness, you know, have a journal. Like, you know, when you when you feel like that and you wake up, you know, also jot down things, get the stuff out of your head, like just dump it out of your head. And if you if you are that way inclined, if you're this, the busy mind, you know, maybe before you go to bed, you actually need to dump your thoughts in your busy mind diary, get them out of your head. So when you go to bed, you've, that's it. Yep. I've dumped them. Now I'm ready to go to bed. And it's just, you know, it's retraining the body. But uh, so these are all these really simple little hacks that you can do. Uh, and uh, sometimes they're not as difficult as you think. You've just got to be aware of them and you've sometimes got to try a few different things, but you've got to find out what's wrong. That's the other thing. Oh, look, with that, absolutely. But I think right now with COVID, and I know we talk ad nauseum yeah. about COVID, but also the impacts economically for men. Some men are concerned about their businesses. Some of them have got businesses that are in lockdown, effectively, that their businesses are, are shut. But as business owners, the expenses don't stop. Uh, we're both business owners. Uh, and I'm sure that we go to bed 
worrying about things or even subconsciously. I'm absolutely agree in agreement, the caffeine one and the alcohol, the booze. So mm -hmm. do you have a theory around when would be the, the time that you would want your last drop of caffeine to enter your lips uh, yeah. so that it sets you up for a good night's sleep? And same with alcohol. Mm. Yeah, so if you're if you're struggling, you know, sleep is a bit of a problem for you, falling asleep and you're not tired in the evenings or it's disrupted. Look, with caffeine, really, look, if you can stop having your last bit of caffeine probably eight hours before you go to bed is probably, you know, is just a very a good general number to think of. There are some people that aren't affected by having a coffee late, but if you if sleep is a bit of a problem, then probably just stop having the last coffee at least eight hours before bed now alcohol is a really interesting one and I think you know you're right COVID so sleep issues around the world have definitely elevated and escalated because of COVID and there is a lot of there's a massive domino effect and people are stressed people are worried and people you know and then seeing other people's stress around you it might be the kids doing homeschooling it could be the you know um, that your your you you've got your your brother is family members are struggling you you know like it's just being around other people listening being absorbing all of the stuff around you also fuels the stress and we know that the stress and sleep doesn't really go hand in hand so it's quite disruptive but alcohol and I think this has become a much bigger picture with COVID. Uh, because, you know, we're not out and about. We are at home. It's more convenient to go and have a drink. Sometimes you don't know when you've, been, when you've had one and you have another and, you know, it's just it's so easy, isn't it? It's just so easy just to be drinking more than you would like. But the problem is with sleep is that, look, the drinks will help you to fall asleep easily, but what will happen is sleep uh, doesn't help your quality of sleep. So when we go, when we go into sleep, we have a few different stages of sleep. Now, when you drink alcohol, alcohol affects the architecture of your sleep. And by that, I mean your quality. So what the alcohol will affect the architecture, which will mean that you won't reap all of the benefits from the different stages of sleep. They become disrupted. So alcohol is known to do that. And uh, look, I think this is one of these sort of, look, a lot of things in sleep play into modern, you know, modifying your lifestyle risk factors so you know if we look at things like what we're drinking what are we eating how are we exercising these are all lifestyle factors and if we just have you know look I'm a big fan of the 80 20 rule like I don't think we can be perfective people by the book I think you know there's got to be it's got to be balanced right 80 20 and uh but when we start to flip that around and the 80-20 is back to front, uh, and we're drinking too much, we're not exercising, we're just not eating well, that stuff absolutely plays into the sleep. It's really interesting. And so a lot of things Gerald and I do together, and we love this, is just helping people formulate, like, how you can be a bit more adventurous with what you're eating, how you can strategically add a few more things in during the day. We want you to have the 80-20 rule, but actually trying to make it work for you because what you put in your mouth absolutely can support and help your sleep in lots of different ways. But one of the things that you've um, that you've realized, actually, Philip, is, and this is often very common with people who have sleep problems, is that 
sometimes if you've been on the journey for a while with poor sleep, you can have your heart can get a bit stressed out and your hormones can get a bit stressed out. And you can end up on this what we call a cardiometabolic journey. And this begins to, this is a bit of a rickety road, but it is associated with people who don't sleep well, and particularly those who've had untreated obstructive sleep apnea for a long time. But what happens there is that when you end up on that kind of road, you start to, and if you're not sleeping well, on top of that, then you start to get a lot of sugar cravings and you start to be hungry all the time. Yeah. And so before you know it, and this is because what happens when you're not sleeping well, it starts to really, I talk about body science. It really starts to alter the body science in your body because your body has to compensate because there's just things, normal things aren't happening now. And so you get these alterations in your body science. And so you start to get these symptoms. And this is why I think sleep is really mysterious because some of the symptoms that your body starts to project, you would never think are connected to sleep. And who would have thought that actually sugary cravings would be even connected to sleep? Who would have thought that, God, I can't shift those, that weight. I'm doing everything. Who would have thought that it would be because of sleep? Who would have thought that erectile dysfunction is actually caused a lot by sleep problems? And that actually erectile dysfunction is a warning sign that you might actually be going to have a heart attack. I'm not kidding you, in the next decade, very real things. And so sleep alters the body science in your body. And But the signs and symptoms just aren't obvious. We think there are other things in our life and we ignore them. But actually what by, you know, strategically what you put in your mouth, designing the foods, and it doesn't have to be, it's not like, you know, I mean, I think, Philip, what we've put together for you is really good. I think you're really enjoying it. And you you aren't feeling as bloated now. You've lost some weight. You're feeling so much better. And it's all because we're now we're re-engineering your body science and we're actually helping you to reverse backwards. And Gigi, you know, because she was the one who went through your pathology, she sort of said that, you know, like we've got to do this stuff and we will reverse back. We will be able to reverse back, but we have to do something now. But if we don't, then we won't be able to do any reversing back at all. And you're definitely seeing the great results of that. Uh, Just with simple things, you're not bloated, you've lost some weight, you feel better. It's you're not you probably haven't got these sugary cravings like you had before. You're not hungry all the time. And all we've done is is implement things that are right for you to re-engineer your body science, which actually then also helps you sleep better as well. So it kind of all goes hand. This is why I love it. It all goes hand in hand. It's so cool. Sleep is so cool. Uh we it just need to appreciate cool. it. Oh, it's Absolutely. very cool. It's a multidisciplinary team. You're right, because there's a bunch of us involved with me, for example. So I wanted to actually talk to you then about, as a resident coach here at Saving Brothers, how will you be able to help me? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've often spoke, I've spoken about Gigi and talked about like what you're eating. So you are helping people to get a the sleep diet plan. So actually getting a sleep diet, actually getting assessed, actually finding out what's going on? And uh, so I work with uh, some sleep physicians. So a lot of my assessments are all reviewed by sleep physicians that you don't normally get to see unless you've got big problems, but they're amazing people. So you get sleep assessed. Um, If you need to get tested, because you might be one of the one in five who have obstructive sleep apnea, 80% of people who have obstructive sleep apnea remain undiagnosed, pretty scary stuff. So I can help you get tested. I can help you get 
put you connected with actually getting treated. And uh, but actually working on the basics, so actually sleep essentials. So what things do you need to do? So actually putting in pre-bedtime routines, what are you going to do during the night? What are you going to do during the day? So it's all about personalizing a plan for lifestyle um, risk factors. So modifying those and helping you to get a good plan together, uh, getting sleep assessed, getting sleep tested, uh, and supporting you if you need uh, that treatment for the sleep sort of breathing side. I understand that stuff very, very well and how you acclimatize. And um, and then the uh, and then the sleep diet, uh, which is probably the most exciting part of it all. And I do that with uh, Geraldine. So we team up together and we do team calls. And uh, and you know you get two for one when uh, when you come to do sleep. Oh, you totally do. And look, yeah. the thing I think for me personally. Uh, I can speak into the to this because I'm on that journey now. Both you and Gigi, Geraldine, you make it fun. Mm. It's not, it, and I'm enjoying it. And like I'm enjoying feeling better about myself. I mean, I'm back exercising regularly. Sure, I was walking, but I do feel. And I know I'm only at the start of this journey, but I'm already feeling like, hey, man, we're starting to turn this ship around. Uh, between yourself and Gigi, been in contact. Uh, she's been having conversations with my doctor about whether I go yeah. on metformin, for example, uh, to try and really kickstart things along. And now I've got, I bought yesterday the glucose machine, so the old prick your finger in the morning and at night before I go to bed, just to see what's going on there in relation to my glucose. So lots of things I think that you're going to be able to bring in. It's very, very exciting, and particularly with your level of expertise between you and Gigi, and, and that can't be underestimated. You're an ambassador as well for Saving Brothers, Catherine, and probably a great way to finish up. What was it that attracted you to want to become an ambassador and make a stand for men's health? Well, you know, like I've said, I'm an absolute advocate for people uh, in their health, and I've been on I've been on the journey in health now almost 30, de- 30 years, a long, long time. And my journey's been really diverse. I've had a real chance to see where people struggle. So the gaps and the leakages, I like to call them. And I understand how things kind of work in the healthcare system. I just, I've, I've been across many different parts of it and I can see where things don't work for the person. And, uh, you know, when I look at sleep, uh, sleep greatly affects men. And if I look at sleep disordered breathing, hugely affects men. And it's just so underdiagnosed, undertreated. And uh, so for me, it's all about making a massive impact in this in sleep. Because if I can help people to sleep better, then absolutely people will turn the corner and gain more, more in their health. And uh, like I said, I'm hugely empathetic and I understand people. And, you know, and sort of alongside my sleep, I, uh, for the last probably 18 months, have been doing some very interesting things in the men's health space. So I've had a chance to be across other areas of men's health with other medical teams. So I have interesting insights and I really feel sorry. I really honestly feel sorry for men who just, I just feel, you know, troubled all day and, uh, and don't see the world in in through good eyes and uh and if you can fix someone's health if actually if you can help someone to smile uh and actually light up their world uh for me that's a massive thing so actually lighting up people's world and helping people make a difference but you know for for men uh sleep is a very big problem but it's a good it's an easy one to fix you just people just need help that's all it is you just need help uh catherine totally can 
I'm with you. You're preaching to the converted. You and I have had discussions offline. We are very much going mm. to make sleep one of the key pillars here at Saving mm. Brothers. And we, we won't spoil the party, but uh, I know you're in negotiation on some pretty exciting opportunities around how we can package up and help men get diagnosed and come up with some a pathway. Half the mm. battle, I think, for a lot of guys is is how to start. And I think, no disrespect to GPs, but GPs are so busy. I mean, you've got a 15-minute mm. window to go and see a GP. And really, I think, respectfully, a lot of them don't really understand the yeah. uh, impact of sleep or understand the importance of sleep. I think it's just wonderful. Um, I'm also going to just say, uh, everyone, absolute apologies for when we had that little break in uh, transmission. It went to sleep, so to speak. Uh, I'm on the end here, so I'm actually going to make a call to Telstra and see if I can get a Wi-Fi booster. So hopefully we never have that sort of issue again. But, Catherine, look, it's just an honour. Seriously, for me, I just so love your energy, your passion. It's all from the heart. And same with Gigi. I mean, you are an incredible to have you on our team, both of you, and, and we will get Gigi on. And, and uh, I mean, seriously, she's a classic, as you know. She's got an amazing sense of humour and awesome yep. energy. And I know the brothers will absolutely delight in working with both of you together. And you are a wonderful team and you're both very committed. So I thank you for today. And uh, I reckon that's about time we could wrap it up, almost uh, top of the hour, almost 6pm, time for a little bit of Tucker. And, Catherine, so... So thank you uh, as the Sleep Whisperer and really looking forward to uh, making a massive impact with you in Saving Brothers. Thank you so much, Philip. No, 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 it's, uh, it's a, I'm so excited for the journey and, uh, and I think, you know, the vision and the mission that you have is awesome and, uh, you know, it's one of the big challenges in health uh, that people aren't doing enough at the, at the ground zero level. Uh, people only end up in health because something goes wrong and we actually need to try and help and stop things from going wrong. And that all starts with preventative health and messaging and awareness and giving people the support they need at ground zero to stop the 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 going into these secondary care systems unwell where health is waiting for you. So I'm really excited about what you're doing because you're actually driving some very good stuff at ground zero and I'm super excited to be a part of that. Awesome. Don't forget, Catherine, as we go, keep five alive. Don't forget. <laughs> All right. Take care. Have a wonderful evening to you. See you. And everyone, thanks for being on the uh, on the call with us here at uh, Saving Brothers. Till next week, stay well. Catch you later. Bye. This has been a Saving Brothers podcast. Thanks for listening.